Thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. love here like if we don't love people that we can see then we can't love God because we can't see Mm -hmm. so like loving people is loving God and if you don't love people then you also don't love God that's like it's like an intertwined thing kind of in a way like love God and us have to be one like if without love then there is like to us we don't really know God that well then if we're not trying at least trying to love people because we're not perfect we're not going to love perfectly how God loves but at least having that heart of you want to love and you're trying to love, then I think we were in first John four. Good, yeah. Awesome. So uh, I'm gonna start off with a question for you guys, non-rhetorical. So feel free to answer. How do you know that you are loved by another person? Actions speak louder than words. Cool. But words are still important. But words yeah. are still important. <laughs> 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 I love it. Great. Perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they, they tell you. That's a good start. Yeah. There's that feeling you get. So you let me know if it's, without them even having to tell you sometimes, you know that they love you. That's okay. Well, then to go off of what you two just said, if someone only said it but didn't show it, is that enough? If someone shows it but doesn't say it, is that enough? Uh, no, it makes it very difficult. So you need a little bit of both? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just curious you guys' thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when someone loves you, they don't have to say it, but, you know, you can tell by the way that they treat you. Exactly what you just said. Actions speak louder than words. But it's nice to have the, the words, too, to go along with it. I'm going to start with uh, an easy Bible verse. John 3.16. You might not even need to turn there, but feel free to turn there if you like. John 3.16 doesn't just say, God loves the world. That's it, right? No, but it goes on to tell us how much God loved the world and like what he did to show his love for the world. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right, so that anyone who believes in him won't die, but will have eternal life in him. He loved them, loved the world so much he did something about it. He sacrificed his son. Romans 5 8. Let's start off there. Anyone want to read that? This one verse, Romans 5 8. Oh, 
But God shows his love for us in that, uh, do you want me to wait until people are done here? Sorry. I realized like halfway through, I, I was delayed. Uh, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a verse I, I use around Easter time especially as well. Um, you know, as we're, as we're kneeling, as we're hammering the nails into the cross, you know, we're, we're realizing that God showed his love for us, his great love for us, by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinning. While we're actively still sinning, he still chose to come and die on the cross for us. And that is the ultimate act of love ever shown is dying for someone while they're actively going against what they want, uh, going against you, Jesus. That's what verse 6 talks about a bit. He says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Mm -hmm. And then it's, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Yeah. So I've got this quote. It's a little... Well, I'll just read it before I say anything about it. In reference to Romans 5.8. It would be easy to see the cross as demonstrating the indifference of God. A God who let the innocent Jesus be taken by wicked men, tortured, and crucified while he did nothing. Unless there's a sense in which the Father and Christ are one. It's not the love of God that the cross shows. Essentially what that kind of boils down to is someone looking at, at this from the outside, or even from the inside, could kind of look at Jesus being nailed on the cross and look at it as, as it's showing a God who just doesn't care that Jesus was just tortured and crucified. God just sat there and did nothing about it. It didn't make any difference to God whether Jesus was crucified or not, whether he helped him or not. It'd be easy to look at it that way, unless there's a sense in which the Father and Christ are one. Then it's, it's a whole different story. Because any human father saying their human son could be sacrificed or who loses their son, that's a hard thing to do, especially to send them off to go do it. But Jesus and God the Father are one. They're one and the same. So God is pouring himself out on the cross for us. It takes on a whole other meaning when you look at it as like, yes, he sent his son. They are, they are separate, but they are the same. But he sent himself to die on the cross for us. You might look at that and be like, okay, well, how does the death of the Son demonstrate the love of the Father? Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19. I know I've got you guys flipping a little bit. Then we'll, then we'll stay in a few places from there. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says... For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. For God was in Christ. And then, let's actually go back one verse. Look at verse 18. Because this kind of puts a little bit of responsibility on us, too. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. But God was in Christ. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So this message of reconciliation was brought forth by God through Jesus dying on the cross for us. We're called to help with that reconciliation to draw people back to him as well. Is 
reconciliation different from like new believers or past believers, or is it like for everyone? Like reconciliation, like like let's say like me, Garrick, I have now fallen out of the faith. I've stepped away from the church, or I've kind of, I've kind of been on my own thing. Is that reconciliation? Like, is this the ministry of reconciliation? Like going to people like, hey, I know you've lost this faith in Jesus, but come back to it, or is it like? reconciliation from sin or to like people that don't have never even heard of Jesus like what kind of ministry is that ministry of reconciliation I would say it's coming back from from sin from sin and it's like for everyone it's not just for past Christians Mm -hmm. okay yeah I think it's open ended it says reconciling people like everyone who is people you need to reconcile from like yeah okay I think I'm also having a hard time like the definition of reconciliation I, I would I would say I haven't looked up the definition of that, but I would say it's it would be kind of summed up in making right again. Making right again. Okay. And to be made right is to be righteous, and you mm-hmm. can only be righteous if you're with, without sin or without blemish. Mm-hmm. Which you can only be that through the blood of Christ. Yes, yeah. Okay. All right. We're gonna flip again. Romans eight thirty one, and we'll we'll stay on this one for a little bit. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Is, before we get into this, is there anything that you could do to separate you from God's love? No. No? You sure? I mean, there's just so many, so many different things. No, you cannot do anything to separate you from the love of God. Period. Nope. I remember when I was younger, I asked my parents, I was like, if God loves us unconditionally, why are we sent to hell? And it's like, well, the people that act their lives trying to pull away from God and spend their entire life telling us through their actions that they don't want anything to do with God, want to be as far from God as possible, in his love, God grants you the wish. And when you die, send you as far away from God as possible. It's like, well, that's an interesting. I also does an interesting way to look at like the punishment of hell is like sort of a form of love. It's like if you don't want any way to do with this, fine. There's a spot for that. Eternal damnation, but there's a spot for that. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Answer to that question is the title of this chapter, or the subtitle of this part. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Anybody want to read 31 to 34? I can. Go for it. So I have the Passion Translation, so if it's weird, that's why. So mine's called the Triumph of God's Love. So you said 31 to 34? Mm -hmm. So what does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his Son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen and loved to be this? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them not guilty. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying over our triumph? So what do you guys get from that so far? What, what is going on there? What is he saying? God is for us. Who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Do you ever feel like everyone's against you? Or it's like the world against you? It's like a... like. Live match, the world against Ben, the world against Kayla, the world against Lily, right? It's like, do you ever feel like just like everything is going 
just the opposite of how it should be going for me right now. But if God is for us, who can ever be against us? You should write a song about that. Yeah, I actually look, I looked up to see if Kayla was like... I did. I mean, so in mine, there's like a footnote for the third, for verse 32, and I think it's really neat. It says, this is an intentional echo of Genesis 22:16. Although God spared Abraham's son Isaac, he would not spare his own son Jesus. And I just think that's so crazy to think about, that he spared a human who sins, who's like basically destroyed, like, like we destroyed our own like Garden of Eden. So like he spared human, a sinful person, imperfect person, son, but he didn't spare a perfect, just, non-sinful man for us. I mean, it's just pretty, pretty amazing. For mine, one of the last words in that section, verse 34 says, um, talking about what Jesus is doing in the place of honor, pleading for us. Which just brings about uh, just such like imagery for me of just seeing Jesus saying to the Father like, not not begging, but pleading for us like, Father. This son, this daughter has been bought for, bought by my blood. They are covered. They're they're good. They're made whole. Sin can't be held against them anymore. Just that, just that word for me is what that brings about. Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. All right, who wants to take verse 35 to 37? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. I like how it answers the question. He writes the question and he answers it, so we're not left wondering. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No! Despite all these things that I just talked about, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Mine says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay. More than conquerors. More than a conqueror. To conquer means you've already overtaken. What does it mean that we're more than conquerors? It's like above a victory, right? Like, you're not only victorious, you're just like victorious with ease. Like, mm. almost like instead of passing, you pass with flying colors, is yeah. the way that my brain sees that statement. Mm. That kind of brings about, um, think about Chronicles of Narnia, right? And I'm only speaking of the movie. Spoiler alert, I didn't read the book. Um, <laughs> They're so good. Speaking of, of the movie, the first movie of Chronicles of Narnia, right, where anyone, anyone who's seen it, the last, you know, big section of the movie, the war, the battle scene, right, and it's essentially good versus evil, right? It's the, the witch versus the lion, you know, Jesus versus the enemy, and, spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Um, good triumphs over evil. And while the enemy thought that they had taken out a lot of their, their enemy, the good people, taken them out, killed a lot of them, made a dent in their, in their tribe, it was really overwhelming victory because they were all raised to life again. Mm -hmm. Right? The breath of, 
of the lion of Aslan, the breath of God, resurrected them all. And I would call that overwhelming victory. You didn't more than conquer. You didn't just win. You didn't lose a single soul. Right? That's, and I, I would equate that to, to what we have in Christ as well. Like, if you're with Christ, you don't just win at the end. It's going to be Satan versus us. Satan versus the world is going to be, you know, but hey, guess what? We already know the end of the story. And we've got victory in Christ, overwhelming victory, because we might die on earth, but we're not going to die for all eternity. That's what I would call overwhelming victory, or being more than a conqueror. Yeah, I can see that. I also think of it from the, like, the lens of spreading God's love. Say you're like a citizen in a city, and then a bunch of army shows up and conquers you. That can go a bunch of different ways. But like, if they were to conquer the city, you know, overthrow tyranny and still good structure and build it, all of a sudden they're not your conquerors, they're the liberators. And so if we are, we're not just conquerors, we are above conquerors. You know, you're spreading God's love, you're spreading the message, and you're not only just conquering, cutting things down in your path, like you said, God comes through and raises up, and we're spreading God's message with love. Yeah. All right, 38 through 39. Who wants that? We're still going on this topic of nothing can separate us from God's love. 38 and 39? And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. I feel like you really covered all the all the gaps there. I feel like there's really nothing else, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. Any thoughts about this section? Anything from 31 to here so far? comments, questions, concerns. Wow, like extra quiet today. <laughs> well, I have, I have a question, but it's like a it's like a question I could ask like after Bible study, so they can go pretty deep. Because I've I've tried asking this question before, <laughs> and like it keeps going back and forth, and I keep seeing different videos and different churches and different right, priests. Go for it. Let's see. Like Judas. So, like, it says in Matthew that he repented and that he confessed his sin. But it also says that he he went to hell. But did he go to hell or did he not go to hell? And, like, was that being separated from God's love? Great did question. he choose to be separated from God's love? Or did he repent because it's, like, because, like, in the case, I guess, in, like, the, I guess the question of suicide, mm -hmm. does everyone that commits suicide go to hell then? Is that a sense? So here's my, here's my question to you. Mm -hmm. What does it say in verse... Uh, well, it says it a few times, but let's look at verse no, 38. What does it say in 38? For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Was there a beginning part of that? That was verse 38 for the King's James. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you continue to verse 39, I said, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creatures shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which right. is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing can separate nothing the can. love of Christ. Nothing that covers everything. Yes. Ironically enough, that's... The wording of that. Nothing is all-encompassing. Nothing can. So, like, does God still love people in hell? So, just in let's, like... let's break this down between two different things. Okay. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Mm -hmm. Period. Period. Yeah. Now, can you be separated from God? Mm. Okay. Yes. You can be. God loves Judas. 
How do I know that? Romans 5.8 God showed his great love for us while we're sending, uh, by sending Christ divers while we were still sinners. That includes Judas. Mm -hmm. That includes me. That includes you all. A sinner is a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. Jesus is the only one who never sinned. Christ died while every single person was still sinning mm -hmm. for them. His love was never, never separated from them. They were never separated from God's love. Even Judas, while he was actively betraying Jesus, mm -hmm. getting those silver coins for turning them in, even for Pilate, even for the, the Romans who were actively nailing the, the, the spikes in his hands and feet, they were still covered by God's love. They were never separated from God's love. They were separated from God, but they were not separated from God's love. Which is a sounds like a minor difference, but it's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. It's a world of difference. Of it, it's a difference to be to be. You know, like we could be halfway across the world, as far away as it possibly be, right? I mean, we could look at Caitlin and Shane, right? Caitlin's in Texas. Shane is in. I'm not sure where he's actively serving. Europe, somewhere. Somewhere in Europe, on the other side of the world. They're separated, but not. They're not separated in love. Mm, okay. Right? You can look at a husband and wife or whoever. You might not be actively right next to each other. You might be separated, but not separated in love. In the same way, in an even better way, because God's love is perfect. His love is perfect, and he'll never stop loving you. There's also nothing you can do to make him love you more, and nothing you can do to make him love you less. You... Preaching his word and becoming a martyr and going to the ends of the world will not make him love you anymore. You blaspheming and being a Satan worshiper will not make him love you any less. Because nothing can separate you from the love of God. That will separate you from God. Yeah. But it won't separate you from his love. That which is... Sense. Just mind-blowing to think that God loves a Satan worshiper the same amount as God loves me. Mm -hmm. His love is the same. His love covers all. Now, one is a whole lot closer to God, and one wants nothing to do with God. They are separated. They are close. And they are one, because when you're in Christ, He is in you, and you're in Him. So there's a vast difference in being separated from the love of God which isn't possible, and being separated from God, which is possible. Okay, then that's a good, I like that. Makes a lot more sense than doing it that way. Anyone else? Anything else on this section before we move on? Studying, we were talking about um, Jesus' action of showing us love on the cross, and then now it's more so of like um, this last little part, 38 and 39, talking about basically God telling us that He's saying in a different way, but He's saying that I love you, um, and it's it's so wonderful to have the action and the words um, from God. And in all this, this whole section here is basically him saying, I love you and that you can't be separated from, from my love. I love the consistency that like Jesus has shown in my life ever since I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Not, and it's like his actions and his words constantly together all the time. And then when like you think about relationships that you have in your life, that like we were talking about last week, or not last week, third one last time <laughs> um, of like how it's hard sometimes to love people when they when their actions or their words are not consistent or they um, they might not say harsh things to you but still words can still hurt you in some type of, of way or their actions it's not like they're not punching you but like some of their actions can still be you know hurtful mm -hmm. so it's like 
thank God that his actions and his words are consistent and I have that and I can lean on that and all these other people that are imperfect around me, my relationships, the different, you know, levels of relationships that I have with people. It's like, can't really depend too much on their love and just, I, ha I have to keep my focus on God's love so that I can really feel loved all the time. Um, but yeah, I think it's so cool. Nice. His words matter. <laughs> yeah. And God, like, it's in the Bible over 300 times of God saying, I love you in different ways throughout songs, throughout poems, throughout him just straight up saying and through Jesus, I love you over 300 times. So while to bring it back to my original question, how do you know that you're loved by someone else? You know, actions speak loud in words, but words are important too. He showed it in the ultimate way of sending himself and his son to die for us along with everything else, but that's the ultimate way. And he said it hundreds of times. Alright, let's go to John 15. Start at verse one. And we want to take um, one through five for right now. Verse one through five. Sure. Go for it. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that He does bear fruit, He prunes, that is, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the, of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So what's going on here? On the surface level, what's going on? What is he saying? Recap of that whole idea. Or what's the big picture? Being attached to him by group. <laughs> yeah. I think this goes back to like whether you're loved by God or whether or not you're with God, right? Like you were kind of talking about. Um, if you're not with God, then that you will be pruned. Like that's what it's talking about. So. He's really going at it with this whole vine thing. Yeah. What's the deal with that? Just an example that if you the vine won't produce fruit if it's separated and not planted and all that, and so it's like if you try to go separate in God's kingdom away from Him, like you might make something sure, but is it everlasting? Like that's that's the ultimate goal is what we're looking for. If we attach ourselves to God, we celebrate everlasting life with Him, and if that's not the case, because you you know like you mentioned, you get pruned. That, that could be very symbolic of being sent to the other place. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the ultimate goal is live your best life in this kingdom so that you can get to the other kingdom. Yeah. I There's a difference, I think, though. It says cut, I think we're talking about being cut off versus pruned. I think it's an yeah, important I distinction. Yeah, that was my, my bad. So he cuts that. off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Yeah. But he prunes the branches so that they can bear more fruit. fruit. So pruning is not a, to be thought of in the negative. It's actually a positive right. thing. Just, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was my bad. Yeah. Um. And the purpose of pruning is something that 
is producing fruit has all these little extra other limbs that are essentially sucking nutrients that should be going to, to the other part of it. So like if this is the whole branch and you know, these three are very, you know, fruitful and these other branches are just kind of there, they're not really producing anything. Well then you prune, you cut off the parts that aren't producing anything so that the parts that are thriving and producing fruit can be more prosperous and, and grow more fruit. To cut off would be, this whole thing is worthless and you just chop off the whole branch this whole this whole branch is done it's not producing anything it's it's good for nothing but thrown in the fire to produce more fire that's all it's good for well i mean with plants it's not just like the parts that were left like if you were to try to grow like your hedge and you're hand, handling it yourself during certain times you, you prune it you chop the bejesus out of it so that it'll grow more full later like if you're trying to fill one out you can't just let it grow until because it'll have patches it'll have holes it'll have dead spots it'll have emptiness but if you find the parts that are, you know, covered in sin, in this analogy, prune it. You know, it's not your whole body going to hell, but the parts of you that are bad, the parts of you that aren't with God, the ones that aren't producing fruit, you rid of the bad stuff. And then eventually, not just that the good parts of you will shine greater, but the bad parts get cut down to their base, and then those actually regrow stronger. At least that's what happens in real trees. And so if that's the analogy he's diving into really hard, probably something similar. It's like, you know, I'm a really good person, but I, you know, let's go with something extreme. Like, I hate this type of people. Okay, let's prune that away. You know, let some love grow in there. And the rest of you's good. Let's let the good grow because we're pruning away the bad. Yeah. So let's also look at why he's talking about vines so much. So yeah, he's talking to people who are, you know, they cultivate their land. They know how, they, they understand the analogy, just like he talks to people about farming all the time, the purple of the seeds and the sower and the farmer and you know, all these things, putting your you know seed in different types of soils, right? So these people are farmers, they cultivate the land, they understand these analogies, so it makes sense to them. In the same way, like if Jesus were here today speaking for the first time, he'd probably be speaking in social media lingo, so, you know, something that we understand, right? Um, hey, follow me on Twitter. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> but the vine is also a whole nother symbol, symbolism going on in their time. Um, when the Old Testament prophets and, and there's parables um, all mentioning vines, referencing to vine and vineyards, usually had, um, people usually had in mind the imminent judgment of God being brought upon disobedient people. The, in other words, like the idea of vine would not bring a positive image to mind back then. You'd be reminded of vine twigs that are good for nothing but for firewood. The vine, um, sorry, let me just remind that straight up as it says it is. Uh, for this reason, the Gospel of John refers to Jesus not simply as the vine, but more specifically as the true vine. That's what it says in verse 1 here. I am the true vine. The implication is uh, in that, in contrast, Israel, that's the symbolism here, which became unfruitful, sorry, which became unfaithful and incurred judgment of God. Jesus remained faithful and thus fulfills Israel's calling to be the vine of God. Israel was seen as the vine. That's what the analogy was before. That's what they would see when the prophets were speaking of, like the vine is being severed. Um, you know, it'd be like, oh, the vine, Israel, is not connected to God. And Jesus is now like, I am the true vine. I am your connection to God. It's not about being born of Israel. That's the vine that y'all are, 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 are being connected to. You're tied to these roots of being who you're born into. I'm an Israelite. I'm, I'm, I'm connected. I'm part of the vine, connected to God. It's like, he's like, uh-uh. I'm the true vine. I am your connection. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Remain in me, and you can be one with God. I have a question or, mm -hmm. or an observation. Yeah. Who wrote the, because in the King James Version, it calls it, I am the true vine, and, and, the, and my father is the husbandman. Husbandman. 
Who who said who who read it? Was it Kayla? What did you what did you what did it say? What verse? The One. first verse. In, uh, oh, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Vine dresser. That sounds a lot better than husband man. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> Another translation says the gardener. My father is the, the gardener. Okay, Mine's gardener. The <laughs> husband man is not the thing that I <laughs> just not the word. But when I'm thinking about I'm like just thinking I'm like thinking about a tree and like the Holy Trinity. Like Jesus is the vine, now we're thinking the Father is the gardener. Is that what I don't think I don't at least I haven't put together like where the Holy Spirit is in here. I'm sure he's talking to everyone in the in the tree. But like like all these branches are growing in and God is this tree. This tree is God and we are being grafted onto that tree. We're being grafted onto God because He loves us. Well, every time, like, if that this vine that Jesus is, this vine, if that vine doesn't grow onto us, then the Father comes as a gardener and cuts these vines. But if He sees His Son inside you, the vine, on one of the branches, He's like, oh, can't cut that branch because the vine has grown, the true vine has grown into this branch. Let's not cut that one off. And just keeps, He's always pruning and always, or not pruning, or cutting off and Always looking at this tree going, where is the vine attached to? Is it attached here? Is it attached there? If it's not, then it gets cut off and uh, later it could grow again. And then maybe the vine will grow. Well, that's just how I'm thinking about it. Okay. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Not a bad picture. Yeah. 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 You can take that next time you see me outside. But gardener sounds a lot better. Going to the lawn. There's the husband man. Well, that's what I said. Like, when I read it, I'm like, I've always read that verse. I'm like, I mean, that's word, but I don't know what that means. And then you're saying... Vine dresser. Vine dresser, farmer, gardener. It refers to husbandry. Husbandry. Okay. So, so the husband has to be the gardener. Okay. <laughs> no, hus- husbandry as an agriculture. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. But I'm always like, husband man. I'm like, okay. It's not wifery. Well, that's why, that's why I was like, wife man? I'm like, what's a wife man? Marvel's really, really Or like, deep. wife woman. <laughs> husband man. Yeah. I forget what you're mentioned earlier about like doesn't mean you can't do anything but is it eternal and I think that's really like Mm. the key part or one of the key things in this chapter and for us as believers to think about like it doesn't it says for apart from me you can do nothing well in our tangible temporal reality we can see that that's not true if you're looking at it with a this here and now world eyes, right? You have Bill Gates, you have all of these billionaires that make a huge amount of money that have accomplished big things that might not and probably don't believe in God, that don't have a relationship with God, right? They didn't do nothing, but did they do nothing in the sense of where is their true legacy it's here right it's not in eternity with them they can't take it when they die they can't they can pass it on to their children but that's where it ends right so when he's talking about for apart from me you can do nothing he's really like for apart from me nothing of worth nothing of value nothing of true eternal impact you can't you can't accomplish it without me you can't accomplish moves for my kingdom without me. You can't accomplish kingdom building movements, um, salvation, reconciliation, like we talked about. You can't accomplish that without me. Apart from me, you don't have my spirit to give out, right? You're not filled with me, so you can't give me out. That's the nothing that he's talking about. And I think we can get it's one of those verses that people can point at and be like, well, what do you mean nothing? Like, I did all these things. It's like, okay, awesome for you. Like, I love that for you. I love that you are successful with your here and now eyes, but where is your true success? Are you going for that? You're, if you're a believer, like, our true success is not here. It's there. It's in heaven with the Father. Like, that's that's the things that I want to do. Like, I want to be part of kingdom movements. Like, I want to allow his spirit in me to make these big moves for him and for the people that can be reconciled to him. Like, that's that. those are the things, right? Those are the things that I want to strive for. Um, so I just, I love that part about this because I think it's like, 
it's it'd be easy to walk away from that verse and be like, well, I don't believe that because I can do all these things. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you missed it. You missed the point of what he's trying to to really get you to see the eternalness of the actions you can take now that will lead to something far greater than you can think or imagine because that's who he is. That's who God is. Yeah, that's good. We're going to go on the flip side. So we end there at verse 5. Remain in me, and, and I uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those remain in me, I am them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're going to keep going a little bit from, from there. Now verse 6. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be buried. Sorry, to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Now let me just uh, elaborate a little bit because that sounds great. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. What that does not mean is, cool, I believe in Jesus. God, I want a new car. (laughs) I want this. I want that. Give me this. Give me that. Mm -hmm. Gina, bottle three wishes. Boom. That's not what that means. If you remain in him and his words remain in you, you've got a heavenly perspective. You've got... God vision, right? And you're the things you're wanting are the things that God is wanting. God doesn't care about the newest car. God doesn't care about the newest phone. God doesn't care about his appearance. God doesn't care about people liking him or not. God doesn't care about you know the clothes. God doesn't care about and you know these things that we care about. When we have that God vision, when you're asking for when when you're asking for something. He's going to grant it because it's his will that's being done. You're saying, God, I want your will to be done. And God's like, okay, let's do it. Join with me. Let's let's accomplish my will. That's what that's saying. Verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We talked about this, I think, a little bit last last Bible study. Of whether it was something someone brought up, we got onto it, of not just, you know, and, and Jesus had said it before, of, You've heard it before, saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, I'm going to take another step further. Love others the way I have loved you. Because that's a perfect love. So you only try to love your neighbors and how you love yourself. But we have flawed love, right? Sometimes we only love based off of if someone loves us back, based off of if we get something out of it, if they're a, a fun person to love, an easy person to love. But that's not how God loves, right? God loves this person who hates him, and God loves this person who loves him the same. God's saying to do that with other people. Love others in the same way I have loved you, unconditionally. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And he said it again. The Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. And ironically, after all that about love, then he goes into the world's hatred. (laughs) So we won't get into that today. Yeah, except for one first, just a little teaser. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. <laughs> How about that? That's a nice that's a nice one to hold on to. Like, hey, yeah. People people hate God, so they'll probably hate me too. <laughs> Next week we'll talk about hatred. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can I piggyback what you just, not what you just said, but what you said? <laughs> In Christ, we are hated <laughs> by the world. Amen. When you were talking about, I have two thoughts. When you're talking about, like, um, what we ask for, mm-hmm. right? Um when it says in this, in verse 16, using my name, you got to think about the things that, like you said, the things that Jesus asked for. What did Jesus ask for while he was here? He prayed for healing, right? He prayed for provision. He prayed for all these things. Like When we use his name, we have to keep in mind that we're asking for things that he would have asked for, that is true to his character, right? And when we talk about, like, um, not to say that it, it's like you wouldn't ask for I'm trying to come up with an example but it's like it, think of any sin like God like I pray that I'm able to successfully rob this bank just as an example right in your name in Jesus name I'm going to successfully rob this bank right those two things are kind of opposed to each other He's not going to grant you that success. Um, then again, I don't know. Maybe it turned into a really cool story. You know, on your way to rob the bank, you meet somebody who teaches you about Jesus. Like, who knows? Um, but it's thing to keep in mind. Like, when we invoke His name, we are thereby assuming that what we're asking for aligns with His will and His purpose and His character. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, you're probably not going to get the answer that you want. Um, so that's something that I keep in my head. Like when I'm asking, how am I using in Jesus name when I end my prayers? Is it like, did I just end a prayer that's entirely selfish and self-centered and about me? That's not to say you can't work with it, but I might need to have some kind of like a heart check, like a heart check there in how I approach him and how I approach using his name for the things that I'm asking for. On the flip side, as a silly little example, when I was in college, I didn't have a whole bunch of money. Like, I relied on my dad. He's the one who kind of pretty much financially supported me. I didn't work or anything like that. And I forget what event at school was coming up, but I really wanted a new dress. I hadn't really talked about it to anybody, but I was talking with my mentor about it. Um, and, like, I remember I prayed, you know, something silly as you do. It's like, God, like, if there's any way that you can provide for this here, I know it's like a vain thing, but I really, really like a new dress or whatever it is. And then this mentor, um, I went to babysit for her. Um, she was my campus pastor, too. Babysat for her, and she gave me money as, like, payment for it. And she specifically said, this is so that you can buy that new dress that you wanted. And for me, it was one of those moments where it was like, yeah, it was silly. Yeah, it's a detail that I asked for that it's like, I didn't need it, right? But God still provides. He still works in those things that are like, not, God, your purpose for me on this planet is to do this and I want this. It's like, God, like, I really want a new dress. And he will and still does find a way to move in those seemingly small requests. So don't feel like anything that you are asking for is too small. But when you do ask God for something, like, be bold about it, be specific about it, but be like prayerful about it and evaluate like, why do I really need this? What am I really asking for here? Um, and he'll still use it. Like he'll still work in those, you know, seemingly silly moments and he'll, he'll probably come through. (laughs) Um, maybe not always in the way that you expected to, but maybe very clearly in the way you asked for too. I also like to add that sometimes I, I've learned that be content when he says not yet. Because sometimes the time isn't right and that we have to buy by his time, not your time. So thank you. Yeah, that's good. Good word. Definitely. It's been a while since I did like regular Bible study, but wasn't this one of the verses that I was really looking at picture of heaven from? Like, follow in me and follow in love, and then you will be granted whatever you ask. And that's where they say, like, when you get to heaven, it's everything you ever wanted. It's all your family. It's the party. It's the big thing. That's what I believe this was like. They reference it a lot when they have the depiction of heaven. 
Jesus. It's like whatever you want because you lived your life in Jesus. You made it. Hmm. But that's, that was a one of my Bible study guys referenced that way back in the day. Cool. So I think with this, God abiding in you and you abiding in God, in the same way that God just, God is love. And God loves us perfectly and unconditionally. I think for the same, we should be able to have love come as naturally as breathing. Right? How often do we need to stop and think about inhale? Oh, yeah, I got to exhale. Oh, he has it. Wait, inhale. Hey, babe, after Bible study today, do we? Oh, exhale. Laundry and um, and then before we go to inhale, make sure that we like take care of like food and dishes before we exhale. <laughs> no, like that's ridiculous, right? We don't think about breathing; we just do it in our day to day, right? No matter what we're doing, we're breathing. That is should that's how we should be loving. We shouldn't have to think about it. God doesn't think about, like, oh, I, I should love this person today. Oh, this person, you're good. I should love them today. No, it, does, it, come, it, should, it should be as naturally as breathing for us, for us loving others. That's my two cents. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's look at one more quick thing. Um, let's go to inhale. <laughs> Ephesians 3.18. Inhale again. <laughs> being, a, being a little repetitive and excessive on purpose so that if nothing else, you just remember my goofiness of inhaling and going, what was that about? Oh yeah, we should be loving as naturally as breathing comes to us. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 1. Um, Ephesians 3.18. Imagine if we had to think, if we had to like give a command to our body for everything we do, like left hand go up, down, grip the page, turn the page, put your hand down, go to the pool. <laughs> Inhale. <laughs> Move closer so you can read it. Exhale. <laughs> Inhale again. That would be a Black Mirror episode. Huh? <laughs> that would be a Black Mirror episode. Oh my God. <laughs> right? Like, imagine if we had to give a command. Yeah, it's very it feels like talking to my iPhone, trying to get it to call one of my contacts. <laughs> <laughs> call dad. No! Call dad. Right? Well, no, like that. Is, breathing. Loving. Loving should be. Loving should be that natural. Ephesians 3.18 And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for us. Sorry, actually, hang over here for a second. Let me just demonstrate this a little bit. May you experience how wide, how long, how high. And how deep his love is for us. That's all. And I like how he even says, though, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. We'll never understand fully how great his love is for us. Because it's just, how can someone understand what was done on that cross? Yeah. Are you at a pausing point? Sure. <laughs> um, it's so funny because 
at, when we were at church on Sunday, we went to River Valley Ranch, um, and this verse in particular was the one that he chose to talk about, the pastor chose to talk about at that time. And so some he had some questions to consider, for us to consider, like to go deeper into this, like how wide, how high, how long. <coughs> yeah. and, and so if it's okay, I'll just share a couple of things. But they use the word breath, um, which I guess some translations do, but the breath of a thing is the extent of a thing from side to side. So when we consider Christ's love, how broad is the love of Christ? What does that mean to us, right? When we talk about length, the linear extent in space from one end to another should get us to think about to what length will Jesus' love pursue us? How long does it last? Can I cause it to run out, like what we've been talking about? When we talk about height, it's the vertical extension of dimension from base to top. And there are so many scriptures that talk about the height, the skies, it's lofty, right, mm -hmm. majestic. How high will Jesus' love elevate us? Um, and when we talk about depth being the extent downward from the top to a base, we talk about what's unknown, right? What's unsearchable. How, um, how then, or how far down can Jesus' love extend to reach sinners? That's another thing that we can talk about. So it's what he, for that specific message, he was talking about how can we as camp staff love campers? And, and at the end of the day, what I walked away from that message is, was every person who has contact with me, my purpose to, is to help them go deeper into the good news as they personally encounter the love of Jesus. Like, that is the purpose. Um, and so when we think of Christ's love, there's always more. So, like, I did not think of it in terms of height, length. Like, we say it all the time, right? What is height? What is length? Like, you instinctively know it. But to write it out like this, it's like there is more questions that can be asked just by thinking of the terms and what they naturally mean. Mm -hmm. um, so, I think that was cool. Yeah. It reminds me of my classroom. I teach calculus and algebra, so it's like every one of you is familiar with the X and Y axis. Mm -hmm. You know, up and down, left and right. And then when you get into harder stuff, it starts getting the z-axis. So there's actually another one going through the paper. And there's a fourth dimension, which is time. And you were mentioning how long something lasts, the time and things. And it's like, these are the dimensions that got it. We use, in math, those dimensions to illustrate the world and to solve a whole bunch of really crazy problems. We're even using those four dimensions for, like, string theory today. And that's science is to understand God's creation. It's like, it's creation. It, his whole creation is what he's calling out there. Mm -hmm. Like, everything. His love is cool. our creation. It's in all of it. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. really, really cool. The love of God has width and depth and length and height. You can see how wide a river is by noticing how much it covers. How much it covers over. God's river of love is so wide that it covers over my sin and it covers over my every circumstance of life so that all things work together for good. When I doubt his forgiveness or his providence, I'm narrowing the mighty river of God's love. And his love is as wide as the world. For God so loved the world. Right? John 3.16. And his love for us is as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103.12. Right? Any final thoughts about being loved by God? Well, you were bringing up, I know it was like, it was like a joke, but I, like, but like, you're going to be hated because you like Jesus. I kind of like that, kind of <laughs> just because, not like I hate, I like being hated, but like, I guess it's not, I guess it's not, again, it's a good reason, like when you're talking about like, even like in the, I haven't watched that in forever, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, what's that? Chronicles, Chronicles of Narnia. That big battle, when they had it. I'm not sure if they knew of everything, but like, like when we're going into battle, we don't go into battle like, oh man, I'm going to be hated. Don't worry about being hated or you're going to get killed or you're going to be prosecuted or you're going to get hurt or you're going to, don't worry about those things. Because like I, like you said, in the, even in the movie, Aslan came and like breathed on everyone that was already dead and they were resurrected. 
Like, even if we do die, even if we are hated, even if we are persecuted, we're going to live again. Like, it's not like it's all in vain. So it's like, I don't know. It's just cool to think because, like, that's that, like, that love. Like, like, we can also love God that same amount of love. I mean, not the perfect love that God has for us, but we can still have that love for him and say, you know what, God, I love you so much that I'm just going to keep going every day. I might fall, I might stumble, but I'm just going to keep praising you and worshiping you and trying to spread your word to people. Even right now, the world we're living in really doesn't want to hear anything we want to say. But it's still very important for us to always be praising them and openly doing so, not hiding it. Not mm-hmm. like I know it says, like, don't show your alms in public, but there's a very fine line between being a closet Christian and like only going to church and only doing this and only staying in your finite group of people. But then there's a whole world out there we have to spread it to. Yeah. That's why like with like when you start bringing up Second Corinthians, I like the end of Second Corinthians in twelve nine or twelve ten really. It says therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in necessities and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So even when you're weak, you're still strong. You have Jesus. Like, you got everything. Literally everything you got. Yeah. There's nothing you don't have. I thought that was pretty cool. I like the hate thing. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Nice. Awesome. I'll, I'll close this out. God, thank you so much for your love. The love that we cannot fully understand and we never will. A love that's so deep and so high and so long and so wide that we just can't fathom it. Thank you so much for choosing to love us and for loving us unconditionally and not for what we've done, but because of who we are in you. Thank you for choosing to love us every day. Thank you for uh, giving us that love and, and allowing us to be able to love others in the same way. Help us to love people better. Help us to bring a better name to Christians, to people who represent who you are. Help us to to love Christians better. Help us to love non-Christians better. Help us to love others in the same way that you have loved us. I thank you for everybody here. And um, yeah, just pray for blessings over everyone and protection over everyone. And just that you regard each person's heart and mind and to let everyone here be a light in this world and just continue to shine for you and show your love to every person who you count Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time in God's premises with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.